For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm really stoked about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Rich Brooks, and we're going to explore how businesses with local customers can reach people with mobile marketing. By the way, if you have any feedback for me, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm now excited to introduce episode six of our ongoing audio documentary. Imagine you were planning a little get together for you and let's say 3,000 of your friends in your industry. Your to-do list is a mile long. And the amount of coffee and sleep in your life are now inversely proportional to each other. Your boss expects your best. And your team is counting on you to deliver. So how might you feel then if right as the big day approached, you were running out of budget with a ton of stuff left to do? Oh, we were definitely getting stressed. And I said, dude, do you realize that with the snap of a finger, we could produce a volunteer army? I'm Jay Akunzo, and today we go behind the scenes with the making of social media marketing world. In 2015, the San Diego-based event put on by Social Media Examiner received a huge stress reliever thanks to a group of 30 to 40 college students from Chapman University. Together with their marketing professor, they decided to spend their entire spring break volunteering at the event, and it was a huge success. But then... In 2016, guess what? Spring break was not aligned. So all of a sudden that 30 or 40 students were no longer available to us. That's Michael Stelzner, CEO of Social Media Examiner. And he recalled a conversation that he had with Phil Mershon, the company's director of events. And he was saying, hey, um, we are getting to the point with our budgets where we don't have a lot of money left and we have a lot of work that needs to be done. The team was growing, the event was growing. Year one, we were 1,100. Year four, we reached almost 3,000 people, and the staff had not grown at that kind of pace. So we were finding ourselves stretched. We were missing things. So we, we weren't noticing posts on Facebook and LinkedIn, and they were going unanswered. Well, how do I make time to do that, plus everything else that needs to get done? Mike could sense Phil's stress. They were so close to that event, and things had started slipping through the cracks. And it was then that Mike suggested an army of volunteers. And he said, what do, you, what do you mean? And I said, well, we have this huge community of people that have attended social media marketing world before. And we've also got this monstrously big community of fans that love everything we do at Social Media Examiner. 
my guess is that if you put the word out there and we helped spread that word through our social channels, that you could recruit an army of volunteers to not just help at Social Media Marketing World, but to help in preparation leading up to Social Media Marketing World. So Phil thought, wow. What if? What if we could put those two things together and make it a win-win? They're doing something they do naturally and actually love to do, and it doesn't feel like work, and it's meeting a real need that we have. And so it was a, it was a match made in heaven. So Phil reached out to a few people just to test the waters, and the response was instant. They jumped at the opportunity because they really wanted to make it to the event, and they were basically like, whatever I need to do, if this gets me an opportunity to be at the event, um, I'll do it. One such individual was Damian Ross, who started out as a volunteer for the event and now actually works on the social media examiner team as a full-time employee. The cost of the ticket and travel was probably going to be a little bit out of my realm, but just didn't want to miss it. He was thrilled to learn that he got picked as a volunteer. And once he arrived to prepare for the event... I was really kind of blown away by the amount of training. I really thought you would just get there and they would slap a different color badge on you and you know, kind of point you in an area, but the amount of training that went into it. And then one of the funny things that I still remember is they gave me a shirt for every day. And I thought that was so interesting as opposed to any time I've ever volunteered. It's like, here's your shirt. You need to wear this for the next three days. It was just so funny that they actually thought of that, that people probably won't want to wear the same shirt every day. Everyone from attorneys to entrepreneurs, community managers to paid speakers showed up eager to serve for free. So there was a, like a, a corporate exhale, if you will. We got all the staffers and all the contractors and all the vendors and all the volunteers in a huge room with almost 200 people. And we spent like an entire day training these people. And many of them walked out after the whole event completely transformed. Mike, Phil, and the rest of the event team taught them about what it means to serve. They also created their own private Facebook group to connect to one another and sing the volunteers' praises. They even gave them dedicated break rooms, made sure they never felt overworked. You want to build understanding and vision and inspiration for what they're doing, but you also want to pass on skills. We treated them as if they were employees. You're not really necessarily called a volunteer, you're called staff, which is, you know, people will then ask you, do you work here? And you're, it really makes the icebreaker of building relationships that much easier. And as a result, the volunteer army went above and beyond. More often than not, they reached out and asked us, hey, this is going on, what would you like us to do? So they wanted to be there and um, they weren't necessarily even wanting to say they worked for Social Media Examiner. They just wanted to make sure that the event was as awesome for others as it had been for themselves on site. So that was awesome. And through all that, something amazing happened. The Social Media Marketing World volunteers became indistinguishable from the full-time staff. Honestly, I did not know the difference between our staff and our volunteers. I had no idea. That's how good they were. And I said to them, you guys are going to look back and you're going to say, I remember when social media marketing world was only 3,000 people. And they're going to say, wow, do you guys remember when social media marketing world wasn't 10,000 people? It was just a peasily little 3,000 people. Remember those days? <laughs> well, that's where we're headed. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? 
simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. And now for this week's interview with Rich Brooks. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. This week, I'm excited to be joined by my good friend, Rich Brooks, who's the author of the brand new book, The Lead Generation Machine, The Small Business Guide to Digital Marketing. He's also host of another podcast that I love to listen to called Agents of Change, and he's also the host of a conference by the same name called the Agents of Change Digital Marketing Conference. Rich, welcome to the show. Man, I am so glad to be here. Thank you, Mike. Well, I, it's my honor to have you here today. And today, Rich and I are going to explore how businesses with local customers can reach those people with mobile marketing. So for those of you that either have a local business or have clients that have a local business or are thinking about trying to reach local businesses because maybe you do events or any of that kind of stuff, that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, before we get started, uh, let's roll back the clock, Rich. Do you remember where we first met? I think we were both abducted by the same alien ship, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Wait, was that you? No. no, it wasn't? All right. So then I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, that it was, because my second guess is we were both at a conference called Blog World. And my friend Denise Wakeman actually uh, was going to dinner with you and a bunch of other people. And she invited me along as her plus one. I ended up sitting next to you and uh, was part of that. It was like it was like the power table. Like Mari Smith was there, and Derek Rouse was there, and Amy Porterfield was there. They were just an amazing group of people. And Lewis House and then was there. Me. Yeah, it was. Lewis, yep, it was, yep. It was crazy. That's, you got it right, man. That's correct. That and that was actually in October of 2009, and that was when Social Media Examiner was three days old. Isn't that crazy? I remember. I remember you shared your card with me. You're like, "Hey, man, take a look at this business card," and it had your, it had Scout on it, and you were like, "It said Social Media Examiner." And I was thinking, just what the world needs: another blog about social media with a cartoon. Boy, character. was I wrong. <laughs> well, um, it's amazing to see where you've gone since then, and I'm super stoked that you have finally got your book out. Um, let's let's start by asking the the all important. And by the way, no, you know, I want to share. I want to share a little bit more of the backstory because Rich, you don't, you didn't just meet me at Blog World. We became really good friends. Um, you went on to start your own conference, which I had a chance to speak uh, at in Maine. Why don't you tell people about that event? Sure, sure. Uh, we have had now five years of the Agents of Change Digital Marketing Conference, and it takes place in Maine. We get about 400 people in the seats, and then I also do a virtual pass uh, that's both a live stream as well as on-demand content, and that's always a lot of fun. We get people from around the world who like wake up in the middle of the night to, to watch the live feed, and some, of, some years we've even had them ask questions via Twitter, so that's always kind of a fun thing. We get a lot of great speakers. It's uh, definitely a more intimate event. Like I said, there's only about 400 people, so you really get to know a lot of the other people who are the fall, at the event. Right. It's and in- it's in the fall, yep. Um, I want to say that September 15th is the date for 2017, you know, in case people are making plans. Um, but yeah, it's a great event and we focus on search, social, and mobile marketing. And it's all about how you can reach more of your ideal customers. And, uh, Rich also has a great podcast, very similar to my show, except he covers those three categories, search, mobile, and, um, social. 
and does has a lot of great guests. I've discovered a lot of guests from your show, Rich, that have ultimately ended up coming up on my show. So I uh, can say the same. I've stolen a lot of your best guests from my own show. So Rich and I kind of walk in the same circles and live and breathe and kind of have very similar businesses in regards to the conference side of things. But Rich also does has a consultancy. So um, let's talk about... And we're almost the same age. Let's not forget that, Mike. Oh, yeah. I am one it's, month your senior. But you have, a, I think, a little more gray than I do. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm trying to hold on to any hair I have at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let, let's get into the local business thing. Um, so uh, why is it so important that businesses with physical locations, whether it be a pizza shop or whether it be, I don't know, any other kind of business that has physical locations, why is it so important for them to focus on the mobile side of things when it comes to their marketing. Talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. And and I would argue that, of course, every business in 2017 should be focusing on mobile. But but I agree with you that businesses that have physical locations, that deal with a local audience, have a greater need, perhaps, for really focusing on mobile as they go forward. And, you know, I think one of the things as marketers, we kind of forget about mobile, but yet as human beings, they never leave our side. You know, our phones are with us all the time. You know, just for example, I have a daughter who is now playing a, a, in a league for volleyball. She's got two practices a week. They never seem to be in the same town. So what do I do? I, I pull out my phone and I use ways to get directions. Once I get there and drop her off, I use Yelp to find a coffee house. Or I pick up my phone and I ask Google or Siri to find the nearest supermarket so I can do a week's worth of shopping. Then while I'm waiting in line, I'm on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and I'm checking in with my friends and I'm posting things. Maybe I saw something funny in the store. So that's going on or maybe even playing a game or reading a newspaper article. You know, we are always on our phones. And so we are a captive audience for any local businesses. So if we're running a local business, of course, we have to think about all those people who are spending all that time on the small screen and they're mobile, like they can be moving around. They might be right near our offices. So we need to take advantage of that. Uh, one of the things that I was, you know, as I was doing some research into this, 94% of smartphone owners look for local information while they're on their mobile device. And, and another big one that really struck me is that 88% of consumers who are looking for a type of business, you know, they're searching for a local business using a mobile device. They either call or go to that business within 24 hours. So it really is something that like people make immediate decisions when they're on their phone and we want to be in front of them. And for businesses that are looking to generate like new business or coupons, mobile offers are now being redeemed at 10 times the rate of old print, uh, print coupons. So, you know, that's another way of just engaging people using the mobile device. There are a lot of ways to engage people on mobile, and so you just have to kind of expand what you're doing there to reach that audience. Okay, you, you said mobile offers. I want to I want to ask you, what what is that, and how how do we as business owners or marketers uh, participate in that? Well, really, that could be anything. I mean, that could be as simple as you're just running a Facebook campaign and you just happen to do it on mobile or you promote the fact that these are going to be available on a mobile device or you tell people that they can download it onto their phones and show it at the counter. And that can be a mobile one. It could also be SMS text messaging. And, you know, there's the whole SMS thing. People get really concerned or confused or like, I don't know how to do that. You know, I want to send out SMS text messages to the audience that wants to hear from me. And they don't realize it's really just like email marketing. 
So you just need to find a vendor, and there's a lot of local players in this, who will uh, basically help you get people to opt into SMS messages, and then you can send those out. So, for example, if you are a pizzeria, as the example we always seem to use when it comes to local businesses, uh, you know, you can be getting people on your list and be sending out discounts. Or there's a uh, massage therapist near us. Whenever they have a cancellation, you can opt into their SMS text messaging, and you'll get the first alerts on when there's a, in a, uh, a vacancy that you could take advantage of. Uh, I want to I zoom in on this text message thing for a second here, because um, like, how do... First of all, you mentioned that there are companies out there that can do this for you. Um, if you if you know of uh, really, when I want to zoom in on, let's take the pizza example. You know, what do we do if we happen to have a store of any kind where people walk away with a bag or with a box? Um, do we hand them a flyer that says, um, uh, you know, send us a message with this hashtag or something in order to get notified when we have special deals? How do you actually do that? So you are going to work with a third party on this. I don't think that anybody would try and reinvent the wheel. Uh, and a lot of these, like if you go to Google and just search for like SMS marketer, especially with your local area, you'll find somebody who will do this for you. Just like in the um, email world, it might be MailChimp or Constant Contact or Aweber. There are other smaller local players as well in this. So using the, those companies, they're going to assign to you a short code, which is basically like your domain almost. And you then get a, uh, and it might be a shared short code, not that that really matters, but this is like a six digit code. And so you might say, uh, text pizza to 004400. And then what that would do is basically get somebody to get an autoresponder on their phone that says, do you want to receive, uh, text alerts from, uh, Stelzner's pizzeria? And so then that person hopefully says yes. And then you could start, and the re, you'd have to incentivize people. People don't want to get your text messages for no reason. So there's got to be a reason behind it. So you, you can know, even incentivize them to just get on the list in the first place by giving them a dollar off their next order or something, right? Exactly. Whether it's a dollar off or free topping or free delivery or whatever your business may be, free tax return, whatever, you know, whatever it takes to get people to opt into that. And the crazy thing, I have these stats somewhere, and I don't know if I can pull them up right now, but the crazy thing is like 98% of SMS text messages are seen within like two minutes. And like 99% of them are kind of acknowledged or dealt with within like the first day or something like that. So even though it's a much smaller number of people, you're probably going to get on this compared to say an email list that you've been building for a while. The response rate is really incredible with this. Now, like anything, this will of course go down over time. You know, retargeting was such an amazing buy when it first came out. Now a lot of people have kind of tapped into it and it's not quite the buy it used to be. Same thing with Google AdWords and Facebook ads. But for right now, SMS text messaging is something that's still fairly new. And as long as people are opting into that, they're showing that they have interest. They haven't gotten fatigued by a million people trying to send them text messages. This can be a real boon to small business. Yeah, and not every business, right? But but certainly certain businesses. And for anybody listening right now that does any kind of speaking or workshops or anything like this, this can be quite successful. We've used this uh, at Social Media Marketing World. When we launched the Social Media Marketing Society, we gave people a code, and during the presentation, we said, "Okay, here's what you do: Step one, open your phone. Step two, do this." And we had 500 people. Uh, you know, send a text message. And, and it is a lot like sending an email. These, these are service providers where you can go ahead and you can just say, okay, send everybody uh, that's on your list this message at this time 
And it's a lot like scheduling an email and then boom, they, they, they get it and then they act on it. You can even set up autoresponders on some of these kind of things where when they first opt in, they'll get a series of messages. So it's pretty cool. I think it is, like you said, you got to proceed with caution, right? Because people are going to unsubscribe pretty quickly if they feel like you're abusing right. them, right? Yeah. For me personally, like I don't let anybody know my cell phone number. You're one of the few exceptions, Mike, because it's my last bastion of privacy. I'm like, there's a million ways to get in touch with me. This is something I don't print on my business cards. I'm very secretive about it. I think a lot of people, you know, treat their phones like it's a little bit more private than some of their other things. So I think you have to be very respectful when you're doing this text messaging. Um, a lot of people have asked me, like, well, how do you build up your list? One thing is you want to promote it against across all your media, and that includes all of your social media and your website. Also, Mike, like you were saying, you could hand out a flyer if you're running a restaurant, or you could have it printed on all your pizza boxes. Uh, the other thing is you want to keep your messages really short. 160 characters is usually the max. That's the original size of a text message anyways. You can do it longer, but certain platforms will break it up in unfortunate ways. So keeping it under 160 is usually a good idea. Timing is really critical because uh, – I have the stats right here. It's actually uh, 90% of people open it, see it within three minutes or less. So the timing is really critical. If you want people to stop by your grocery store – on the way home to grab prepackaged dinners, then you have to understand exactly when they're going to start making those decisions. Uh, and you can even do trigger messages. You can tie this into a CRM, a customer relationship management database. And so like if somebody hasn't, if they assume, again, if they've opted in and they haven't bought anything from you, say in three months or six months or whatever the cutoff line is, you can actually automatically have text messages sent to them reminding them about your business. You can also treat it like a form, which we did, which is we you can put in the, the phone number, the keyword, and then an email address. And you can actually, with some of these, I know for a fact you can do this. And then you can have the back end integrated with your you know AWeber or MailChimp or whatever, and then you can email them the offer. So you can, you can use the SMS as the simplistic entry point, and then you can follow through via email, which might be worth consideration. So we've gone down a little bit of a rabbit trail. I want to take this back to social. What can we, because one of the biggest things people are questioning is, is, you know, all right, I get the SMS message thing, but is there another way that I can get in front of a local audience that doesn't require me to get their phone number? And I was wondering if you could talk about what we might be able to do with social media to get in front of a local audience. Sure. And of course, the beautiful thing about social media and the social media platforms that are popular these days is either they were born into mobile, things like Twitter and Snapchat and, and Instagram, Instagram. Yeah. or they've had such an overhaul that it feels really native, like Facebook, which I used to think had a terrible mobile experience. Now I think it's a great mobile experience. Even LinkedIn has a decent mobile experience these days. I can't say it's the most fun social. It's, it's, it's definitely uh, come a long way, that's for sure. But yeah, it's certainly usable. It's something where if I get stuck in line somewhere, I could open up my LinkedIn uh, app and start doing some work. So a lot of these platforms, when you're thinking about the organic reach, um, you can still create content right there. And obviously there's a lot of also cool apps like uh, Ripple, for example, that you can create interactive or not interactive, but moving images and stuff like that. So to make your, your video or your, your images more interesting and more likely to get seen. But of course, we've also seen that there is uh, less organic reach than there used to be. 
So you can't, in my opinion, just rely on organic. So uh, we've had a lot of success with different ad campaigns on Facebook and Instagram. And you can definitely, obviously, there's a lot of geo-targeting that goes on. We can really target our audience based on where they are. Let's talk well about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. I, I've never done any geo-targeting on Instagram or Facebook. Like, wh- what? how does that work? Yeah. So just to take a step back, if you don't mind. So there's like three different things when it comes to some mobile ads, uh, at least the way that I I see it. One is called geotargeting, which I think probably a lot of people have had experience with, even if they didn't realize that's what it was. Then there's geofencing and then there's something called beaconing. So I'm going to start with geofencing. And if you can imagine geofencing is like a virtual, very, very crisp line that you draw around a geographic space. And the way that geofencing works is as soon as somebody comes in or leaves an area that you've defined, you can show them ads or you can show them offers. Now, before I get ahead of myself and start, uh, people are imagining that like they walk into a, you know, a special geofenced area and suddenly their phone's lighting up with all these offers and stuff like that. You have to either have downloaded an app that has this capability or you're surfing the web. So for an example, let's say that we have a a puzzle shop at the mall, right? And we could set up a geofence around not just the mall, but all the parking lots around the mall. And as soon as somebody comes in, they're now in our geofenced area. And so as soon as they either open up an app that might be using this, um, that might be serving up ads or offers, or they're surfing the web and they go to a website that has those kind of ad uh, boxes on them, we can say, hey, listen, it's a two-for-one special at Rich's Puzzle Shop. Come on by and just show this discount. Okay, so hold on a second. So it's a way of getting people to engage. Let me ask yes. you, what's the underlying, is this, can you do this on Facebook and Google, or is this purely a Google thing? Or because like This I'm- is really neither, to be honest, so this is geofencing. So geofencing is kind of a blunt instrument. It's like if you are a living, breathing smartphone owner, and you are in this space, I can send you messages as long as you're kind of have downloaded an app or uh, have an advertising. How, how do we get, uh, how do we build the fence? What's the app that powers all that? I guess is what I'm asking. There, Right. There are different apps. And one of the ones that you, you could use, although it's not exactly advertising, is, is Snapchat. That's probably the one that people have the most experience with. And I don't know if you've done this at Social Media Marketing World yet, but do you have like a, yeah, a Snapchat had, filter? Yeah, we have. We have. Okay, so that's an example of the geofencing. There are apps and tools that you can use, and it's literally a matter of Googling like geofence app, and you're going to see a whole bunch of companies that are willing to do a wide variety of marketing for you. It's probably not something you're going to do on your own. Again, you're going to use a third-party app to do this. Yeah, and for those that don't know what Rich was just referring to, uh, Snapchat filters, uh, when you buy a Snapchat filter, uh, you can, for a time period... Uh, or a day, period of days, you know, you go onto like what looks like a Google map and you draw a bunch of lines and you basically say, I want my filter to appear to anyone who uses Snapchat filters uh, while they're in this physical location. And that's a really cool thing that you could do if you did have a physical store is you could buy a perpetual filter year round around your puzzle store and um, maybe change it up depending on certain seasons, like if it's national puzzle week, <laughs> you know, exactly. and if you have, but, but the, th- the key to the whole thing is you got to have, um, you got to have m- 
make sure your audience is act that goes into that store is actually using Snapchat because if they're not, it's not going to do you any good. It's not, it's not like they're just going to see an ad pop up on Snapchat in this particular situation. This is, they have to know what filters are. They have to choose to be looking for the filter, but you could encourage people that come into your puzzle store for a little puzzle competition to go ahead and Snapchat it and use your filter. And then that's a way to get free advertising for your puzzle store. Right, Rich? Absolutely. And of course you can just incentivize people by running some sort of contest for Agents of Change last year, we did have a contest for like people who use the um, Agents of Change Snap Snapchat filter and then like kind of shared the picture with us. You know, I, I forget what we gave away. Maybe it was a digital Ooh, pass. I, or I love that idea. Something like that. So yeah, I find that especially with new activities, you probably are going to have to incentivize people a little bit. There may be reasons why they want to do it anyways. Like if you've got a really cool brand, like say social media marketing world, people may just want to show that they went there. But for other type of things, it may be about incentivizing or running some sort of contest where there's voting. So you get more engagement. There's a lot of cool things you can do with that well, with any of these, but with geofencing that way. And so using a technique like that might work. Okay. You mentioned, so, you mentioned beacons and you mentioned geotargeting in addition to geofencing. Right. So go wherever you want to go next. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about geotargeting. Uh, if geofencing is a blunt instrument with straight lines, geotargeting is a much more nuanced tool with fuzzier lines. So it's a soft geographic area. Very often we're targeting a state or 50 miles within a city or a zip code or, or, a zip code or something like that. Or zip code. What did I say? Yeah, yeah, you're zip right. City, you said, I don't know. No, you said zip code. You're right. You're right. <laughs> okay. So, um, but then we're going to overlay additional information on it. So that's where the targeting of geotargeting comes in. So, for example, for our conference. Now, for social media marketing world, you're getting people from all over the world. For agents of change, most of our audience comes from New England. So I want to get in front of digital marketers, social media managers, entrepreneurs in that geographic area. So for example, on Facebook, one of the things that we did is we just went in and we said, all right, we're looking for people, uh, you know, it was gender neutral, but, you know, we were looking for people who liked, say, Social Media Examiner and HubSpot and we're on our mailing list and this, that and the other thing. But then rather than advertise to everybody in the country, which would have been a complete waste of my limited funds, I just targeted Maine and northern New England to get much better response from my ads. And that turned out to be a much better buy for us. And you can even narrow that down. You know, if you're a, uh, if you're a barber shop, you're not going to go through all of New England. I don't care how good a barber you are. So you can then more narrowly target that down. And that may also be that you want to target by gender, or you might want to target by the fact that, um, you only, um, you go after men with beards, whatever it may be. But you take a wider, bigger geographic space because you're going to filter that down based on some targeting information that you already have. So, and that targeting information could be your email list. You know, you can take your email list, upload it to Facebook, but if you're only targeting people within 25 miles of your city, you can do that as well. So hypothetically, the puzzle shop example, let's say it's in San Diego. I could say I want to target on let's, – let's just assume we're talking about Facebook. I want to target um, – all of San Diego, because that's where my shop is. And I want to target fans of the national puzzle, whatever, right? Whatever the big Facebook page is. Um, right. Or fans of some sort of a, um, you know, or if I know who my audience is, like I know it's generally um, uh, college students, for example. Can you do that kind of a targeting as well or no? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, with Facebook, you can target just about any group you want whatsoever. So absolutely, you can take anything that you're already doing on Facebook and just make sure it's narrowly targeted. And then you could also just run those ads on mobile. I would, I'm a, I'm somebody who likes to do testing. So I'd probably do a split and I'd be looking at both mobile and desktop and see if one ad outperformed the other. But we're talking about mobile here. So you may as well. Yeah. So we can definitely focus on Take that and just run those ads on mobile and and get the kind of responses you want. Now, and maybe this is the next part, the beaconing part, but what, what I'm wondering is, can I target people that are actually really close to my store and just happen to be like at the restaurant next door or something like that? Is, is that available? For yet? that, I would probably use geofencing. And yes, I have heard of examples of like if you own an independent coffee shop and you are sick and tired of people going to the Starbucks across the street, you can draw a geo-targeted area around that Starbucks and say, if you come in and show me this ad, I will give you half off of our coffee, which is already But you can't do that with Facebook, right? That you're aware of, can you? No, that 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 I do not believe you can do because you're. You, this is geofencing, and it doesn't really match up with with Facebook. The where the beaconing comes in, and that is that third category, is it is very very small geographic space. So you're talking about in-store displays, and you're using Bluetooth technology, which is why it doesn't go very far. So what I've seen companies do, and this is usually like big box stores, is you could have a Bluetooth-enabled kiosk or something, and as you walk by it, again, they have to be either on a specially made app or they have to be um, surfing the web using a website that taps into this ad network, but you can be sending them messages as they walk by something, or you could tell them that you're in a beaconing area, and if you want more information about this toaster oven, you can you know, click this button, and suddenly you'll be able to get more information on that as well. Rich, I don't know if you, um, you probably don't uh, watch our live show, but within the last two weeks, um, Google announced something called um, uh, live traffic and you know how when you Google like your favorite restaurant or whatever, it'll show you the, the, the hours of operation. Well, now they have this new feature that shows you the, the busiest times. And then, I love that feature. But then they also show you right now whether there's more or less traffic inside the store. Now, just hear me out for a second here. The only way that they could possibly know that is if they are somehow tapping into the actual phones that are using Google and they're tracking people coming in and out of the store. And considering that Google makes all their money on data, I wouldn't be surprised if they're anonymizing you know, the foot traffic that comes in and out of the store and they actually know whether you're in the store or not, which scares the heck out of me as a consumer but makes me very excited as a marketer. And I'm just wondering right. whether the days are coming where um, I'll be able to tap into the Google ad network for people that are, for example, within a certain radius of my store and give them an incentive to come inside. Is that even here yet? What's your thoughts on that? I would say that's the next step. And you know what? It's one of these things where if like we ever talked about this sort of stuff, like say five or 10 years ago, people would be up in arms. Like they would be like, there's no way I'm going to let my phone do that. I'd rather not have a phone. But it's kind of like that old story about, you know, the frog who doesn't notice the water's getting hotter and hotter. Yes. I think that little by little we're giving away – this is a whole different conversation. But a little by little we're giving away a lot of our privacy because we want some of those, you know, benefits that come with 
knowing that, oh, if I'm willing to, if I'm willing to give up this piece of information, then I can save 10% on a pizza. And suddenly that becomes a really big deal. So as marketers, yeah, there is this incentive to continually get people to give up information. What's a little bit more scary to me and kind of what you're, you're saying is, do I know that I'm giving up this information? You I know, think you are. And I think, apps, yeah, I think you are. That's how, how do you think traffic information is, is available? How do they know when there's a traffic slowdown? It's because it requires you to have your location on all the time, even when the app isn't running. There you and go. the only reason they're doing that is so they can know exactly where everybody is at all the time. Yeah. But Apple you know, does that organically. My car does that organically. So I think what's happening is this, these days are coming very soon where we as local businesses will actually be able to serve up, um, into a geo fenced area, like just outside our store, um, special ads. And as people are looking down at their phone, which they more and more are, and they're going by in their Uber or whatever, you know, we could actually have a chance to incentivize someone to come inside and that is yes. kind of exciting. And and not just that, because that's geofencing, but with the power of Google or the power of Facebook, both of whom have invested heavily in these wireless networks, that we could also only target people that we want to target who are in our specific area. So we could be saying, I'm looking to target men who are single between the ages of 30 and 40 who are in this general area because they're my ideal customers. Talk to me about local search because I know that's also um, and, and possibly oh, even, even AdWords yeah. or whatever. But that's we'll focus on that for the next couple of minutes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, another thing is obviously when we're trying to get and getting back to that original question of how do we get in front of these people when they're on their go? Uh, so many of us do searches. And I know that kind of like people got, you know, are saying that, oh, I don't care about search because social media is so big and everything. But, you know, I think there's a movement back to realizing that search is so critically important. And one of the things is whether you're on a mobile device or a desktop, you're now seeing single column results on Google. And, you know, it used to be, that everybody would get the same results. But now Google is serving up different results based on who you are, your search history, and whether or not you're on a mobile device. So if you're on a mobile device, Google realizes you may have different intent than somebody who's sitting at a desk. So they may serve up different information. And one of the things that happens on the desktop, but is more likely to help happen on a mobile device, is you get that those th the map with the three listings and then the click for more. And that's called the snack pack. And what small businesses with physical locations uh, who have a geographically targeted audience should be doing is making sure, doing everything they can do to get into that snack pack, those snack pack, those top three results. Because those three results appear above the organic listings. So if you were number one in the organic listings, but there suddenly they add local search results to to that particular search you're now no longer nearly as important so now the goal is to get into the local search results and there's a lot of techniques that you can use more than we can probably talk about in the show but I'll just share with your audience a few things that are critically important and that they can take care of please do one is one is what's called the nap or nap n a p which stands for name address and phone number and as smart as google is for some reason, it struggles when you abbreviate street ST period in one place and then ST in another and then spell it out completely in a third. So one of the most important things is just make sure that your name, your company name, address and phone number are identical everywhere. And that means on your website, on all your social media sites, on all the listings in the online yellow pages. Should we spell everything out then just to be safe? No, not necessarily. Oh. It's whatever you choose. 
Just make sure it's consistent. Ah. So um, one of the tools – there's a couple of companies out there that have made this suddenly a lot easier. Uh, one is Moz, Moz.com, and they have a paid local search service that you can do every year, and they'll basically make sure that you get better results. And uh, another company that's doing a similar thing is called Yext, Y-E-X-T. And uh, I have more experience with the Moz tool, and I've just found it to really simplify making sure that everything is listed. It tells you where you've got duplicates, where the information is wrong. They'll do a lot of legwork for you. And then what you can do is what's called a claim and cleanse. So first, you claim, you prove that you actually are the business owner through a series of events that anybody could do as long as you're the business owner. And then you clean up your results to make sure that everything is consistent. Once you own that listing, once you prove that you are the owner of the business, then you can do things like uh, add photos, uh, clean up the the way that you're um, categorized and a whole bunch of other stuff that can help also with your ability to appear in that snack pack for specific searches. And one other thing you might want to do is go out and get reviews. Positive reviews are best, and it should happen in organic fashion. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I can go out and get 100 reviews by tomorrow, don't. Reviews don't. on which platforms are we talking about? Google or Probably are you talking about Yelp or what? Google, Yelp. Yelp is another one. TripAdvisor. Um, TripAdvisor, for sure. Uh, and there are a couple other places that they'll pull from as well. I'm not sure of all of them. But if you get those three, those are three critical ones. And, of course, you're not supposed to ask – people for reviews on Yelp, all you can say is, find us on Yelp. I'm, I know that some businesses aren't exactly doing it so white hat, but the bottom line is Yelp is pretty strict about that sort of stuff. And they have some algorithms to make sure that you're not getting too many right away or that you know it, they seem natural and things like that. But those are some things that will definitely help in terms of improving your chances of appearing in that snack pack. And I found it's like, I almost never click on the you know, see more, view more, whatever it says. So if you're not in that top three, you're basically invisible. So this is such a big deal for local businesses. What about map integration? Because so many of us use the the uh, either Google Maps or the iPhone Maps that are built into our phone. And sometimes you search for stuff in the map and it's like its own little search engine. You know, is that something we need to keep in mind too? Because not everybody's using Google. Sometimes they're just going right to the map and typing in gas station or restaurant or, you know, whatever they're looking for right there inside the maps. Is that also kind of another thing we need to think about as far as search? There are people who specialize in Apple map optimization. Wow. I am not one of those people. But I would imagine Google, <laughs> but, uh, there's Google yeah, map optimization I, too, I would imagine, right? They're, they're both of them, yeah. right? Well, I think when you're doing that whole um, nap thing that I talked about, you're really taking care of a lot of these things. It may be that either in the future or in your particular industry, things are so competitive that you have to look for every single advantage you can get. I'm a big fan of like kind of the 80-20 rule. It's like if you do 80, you know, like 20% of the stuff is going to get you 80% of the results. So yeah, you could probably spend a lot of time on like Apple map or Bing map optimization, but I don't know that it's going to be necessarily worth your time and effort. A lot of that's going to depend on how much profit you make on a, you know, a product. If you're selling cars, it might be more advantageous for you to take a look at some of those things than if you're selling something that's, you know, an inexpensive widget that people could get anywhere. Wow. First of all, uh, Rich, that was amazing. I thank you so much for sharing all your insights. I know we just scratched the surface of what can be done. Tell people where they can discover your book and where they can discover more about you if they're interested in working with your uh, firm. Sure. Well, The Lead Machine is available on Amazon and hopefully local bookstores near you or just 
yell out to me. I'll, I'll help you track down a copy. Uh, if you like podcasts, and I'm guessing you do, uh, you could go check out theagentsofchange.com. That's where you'll find uh, our weekly podcast and information about our annual conference. And I just started a side side hustle recently because I don't have enough on my plate called streamlinemarketingworkshops.com with a friend of mine. And we're starting a podcast that could be live any day now, probably live by the time the show goes live. Head on over to streamlinemarketingworkshops.com. It's all about marketing and advertising for the wedding professional. So caterers, planners, videographers, DJs, venues, if you are selling to brides, you probably want to go check out streamlinemarketingworkshops.com. And if you just want to talk to me, I'm the Rich Brooks on every single platform known to man. Rich Brooks, thank you so much for joining us this week and providing some really amazing tips and, and sharing your knowledge with us. I really appreciate it. Such a pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's episode. If there's anything that we mentioned and you missed, don't worry. We take all the notes for you at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 235. Also, you're new to the show? Never miss a future episode of this podcast. Simply hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I promise. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.